Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Chloe, for helping us. We begin today chapter 12 of the Gospel of John. This is a, a turning point, if you will. Chapter 12 introduces the last half of the chapter, the last half of the book, and will focus in on the last week of our Lord's pre-resurrection ministry, if you will. And so uh, it begins uh, in Bethany in chapter 12. And so I invite you to follow as I'll be reading uh, John chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. John 12, verses 1 through 8. Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus, who had been dead, where Lazarus was, who had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box, and he used to take what was put in it. But Jesus said, Let her alone. She has kept us For the day of my burial. For the poor you have with you always, but me you do not have always. Amen. In this chapter, in this passage, we see quite a contrast laid out before us, like light and dark. Think of the contrast between smooth and rough, sweet and bitter, good and evil. In our passage, we might hold the contrast between Mary and Judas. What a contrast is shown in in the passage before us. And I hope as we look at this passage, we might be drawn to the example and heart of Mary. Chapter 11 closed with Jesus leaving the area. Remember, that was the remarkable time. He, He raised Lazarus from the dead. You would think that that would then be kind of a celebratory situation, a a glorious time, a a wonderful time. But instead, the raising of Lazarus caused a stir as word got got back to Jerusalem, which was not hard, just two miles away, right across the, uh, just over the other side of the Mount of Olives and across the, the Kidron Valley, right into Jerusalem. Word got to the leadership there, the Sanhedrin leadership in Jerusalem, that Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead and people were believing. They weren't interested in exploring the facts. They wanted Jesus dead. And so with that, Jesus left. Not that he was afraid of death. He came to die. But he, had, he came to die on God's schedule. And so we're told he left went up to a place called Ephraim. We think we know where that is. And eventually he made his way on from Ephraim to to the border area between Samaria and Galilee, ministering in some ways, and then joined up with the 
pilgrim crowds from the southern part of Galilee and, and came down the J- Jordan River Valley. And uh, we, he did some ministry there in Jericho. But on his way with the crowd coming with, as pilgrims to come up to the Passover. And so with, he concludes that journey in Bethany. He arrives six days before the Passover. And so this seems to be a Friday afternoon. Uh, so he would have, he would, again, in, in Israel and among the Jewish people, uh, travel, work stops at sundown on Friday. And that was something I had to learn so well when I was there. The, when you, My first week there, um, I was used to the shop being open and all that kind of thing. Once the Sabbath started in Jerusalem, there were no buses, there were no taxis, there were no stores. And if you hadn't bought food you were hungry. And so things stopped. And so you don't travel. And so he would have arrived Friday evening before sundown. And apparently the, the dinner we see is on Saturday as people gather. A dinner on Saturday then was prepared in honor of Jesus. Notice in these two verses twice, Lazarus is mentioned by name. It seems the dinner was in honor of Jesus with special appreciation for raising Lazarus from the dead. He, he had raised him from the dead and then had moved on, and now they're coming back and, and they're having a dinner in honor of Jesus. Matter of fact, in, in verse 2, uh, it more literally says, uh, there they made him a supper. There, it's literally, you could more literally say that, therefore they made him a supper. Why? Because he had raised Lazarus from the dead. So as Jesus comes back and Lazarus is raised, they had a banquet in honor of the resurrected Lazarus and the resurrecting Jesus. We're told that Lazarus sat at the table with him. I keep imagining sitting around. Can you you imagine being at that table and maybe not being there? How many people, who do you look at? Do you look at Jesus or do you look at that Lazarus? Maybe people tried to bump him. Is he real? Is he eating? Is anything falling through? I mean, just imagine people who had been at the grave a couple of weeks ago are now looking at him, sitting at the table, looking perfectly fine, healthy, and eating a meal. The other Gospels, and so you will see uh, this account is described as well in Matthew and Mark. And... And they tell us that this meal was held in the house of Simon the leper. Matthew 26, 6, when Jesus was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper. And Mark 14, 3, being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at the table, a woman came having an alabaster flask of very costly oil of spikenard. She broke the flask and poured it on his head. So he's in this home of Simon the leper. Well, normally, you wouldn't think of a, of, a, of a leper even having a home. They were, they were outside the city. They were, they, were, they, were, they were prohibited from being around people. So every indication is that this Simon was one of the lepers that Jesus healed during his time of ministry. So I imagine when he came to Bethany and Simon was there healed of leprosy, he was more than ready. To, to have a banquet in honor of, of, the, of Jesus who redeemed him from the death of leprosy. And there also at the table, Lazarus raised 
from the death of the grave. And we're told, too, that Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table. So apparently this was not Martha's home, but she, we've seen, if you've seen in the Gospels before, Martha is one who was so quick to heal or quick to serve that um, even though she was in the, in the home of Simon the leper, she wanted to be there serving. That was her way of showing her love for Christ. And so she was serving in, in the way she knew how. And Lazarus, again, is, is at the table. So what a feast it was. What a way to show their love and appreciation for Jesus. In verses 3 and 8, we see the anointing of Jesus by Mary and the response. Verse 3, Mary took a pound a very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. We were told that Martha was serving, Lazarus was eating, Mary was worshiping. Three times we meet Mary in the Gospels. Each time we find her, she's at the feet of Jesus. In Luke 10, 38 to 42, Now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. You remember the story, right? It doesn't stop there. It's Martha's Martha is considered, it's her home. And, And she comes to Jesus and kind of rebukes him. Don't you care that I'm working so hard and Mary's just sitting there listening? And Jesus rewards to her, verse 41, her famous, Martha, Martha, are you worried and troubled? You are worried and troubled about many things. But one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part. So there we see Mary at the feet of Jesus Learning. In John eleven thirty two, just our chapter before, when Jesus came and Lazarus was in the tomb, John eleven thirty two, when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. If we saw Mary <clears throat> learning at the feet of Jesus, now we see her grieving. And trusting, acknowledging and saying, Lord, you could have healed him. She's not, I don't think that was a rebuke or criticism. It's a statement of faith. No, she's saying, I haven't, I haven't weakened in my trust in you at all. I know you could have healed him if you'd been here. But that is kind of a diminished faith because he could have healed him not being there. But we see her grieving at his feet. And now in verse 3, we see her worshiping at his feet as she pours costly oil upon him. Let me just make a comment. So I've mentioned Matthew and I've mentioned Mark and I've mentioned John. <clears throat> if you go to the Gospel of Luke, you will see in verses uh, chapter 7, verses 36 to 50, that there's an account of a woman who comes in and uh, anoints Jesus' feet with oil. Is this the same? No. 
We're not told her name. We're told that it was in the home of Simon the Pharisee, not Simon the leper. And we're told that Simon saw her and couldn't believe that Jesus would allow this immoral woman. So apparently she was a woman known to be immoral. He couldn't, he, and Simon states, if, 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 if Jesus really is a prophet, he would know who this woman is and wouldn't allow him to touch her. That's not, that's not the Mary of Bethany. Uh, Mary and Martha were honored among the Jewish people. We see that in the fact that when Lazarus dies, Jewish, the leadership, the leaders, the leading Jews of Jerusalem are gathering to be with them. Now, she was not considered some immoral woman. That's a, but that, that's a different narrative and a different account. But here we see Mary on the Saturday of, before the Holy Week begins. So the next morning, the next day, is Palm Sunday. And Jesus riding into Jerusalem. But here we see the dinner. And she is, Martha's serving. Lazarus is eating. I like that balance. And Mary is worshiping. Her act is one of great love and devotion. She is lavish in the gift she gives. We're told it's, it, was, it was a very expensive spike dart. Matter of fact, I've already read through the passage and uh, uh, Judas will tell us it's worth uh, 300 denarii. A denarius was the wage of a working man in, for a day. So if you take away Sabbath days, uh, 52 in a year, um, that's about a year's wage for a working man. This, this particular type of, uh, of ointment uh, came from uh, the, the Himalayan area between Nepal and India today, or, or Nepal and, and China. And so up in that area was uh, where this stuff came in on camelback. And so this was expensive, precious ointment. And she is lavish in the gift, generous in the gift, and humble and wiping his feet with her hair. In this time and culture, a woman never let her hair down in public. The fact that she did that was astonishing. A woman's hair was considered her glory. We see that even in 1 Corinthians eleven fifteen. A woman's hair was given her for her glory. And so she is wiping her glory on the feet, which were considered the least glorious, a place of where dirt and such were. It's striking to me that, uh, remember the situation here, they're at a table, much like what we talk about at the Lord's Supper. They're reclining. The word here, sitting at table, is literally meaning to be, rec- to be reclining up. In other words, they're, they're up on cushions and leaning up on the table, so that meant the feet were behind them. And so, in less than a week, Jesus is going to go and wash feet sticking away from the table. But here she is coming up to Jesus' feet and anointing them with oil. And we're told the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. We're struck by that in a number of ways. But first thing, John tells us that. And it, I'm, I'm, it, it tells me that, and remember, he's writing 
towards the close of the century. He's writing decades, many decades later, toward the end of his life. But I think as he's writing, he can, he can smell that aroma again. In other words, this is very much a, 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 an eyewitness account. Or maybe I should say a nose witness account. <laughs> I mean, he was, this is a, 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 someone who was there. And as he's writing, he can say, not only that, that was such a wonderful, lavish perfume, that there's, the whole room was just filled with the fragrance of the aroma. And I think John is probably also thinking, and the room was filled with the wonder of the glory of her worship. And so as we see it, Everything about this is a beautiful setting. The healed leper, the raised dead man, hospitality on, on, on the Sabbath evening meal. And the Sabbath meal was always a very special meal. And, and, and so here they are with this wonderful meal. And here is Mary with the, just the incredibly generous, lavish, humble gift so that the whole room was filled with the glory. By the way, it strikes me, that word aroma that the, 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 the was filled with the fragrance or aroma of the oil, that word for, for fragrance, uh, I, I looked for it in the Old Testament, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, and this is what describes the fragrant sacrifices. Often you'll see in the in Exodus, Leviticus, a, a fragrant offering was brought before the Lord. Same word. And so this is her fragrant offering before the Lord. Something to be pleasing to the Lord. And so we, if we could stop here, that would be a great place to finish the sermon. You wouldn't have to wait in line at the restaurant. You, it, it would be great. But... But but here's a setting of just of of splendor, of of quiet beauty and wonder. And now comes the, the crashing, clanging sound from Judas. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not soiled for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box and he used to take what was put in it. There in this beautiful setting, suddenly, this voice of criticism shatters the, the wonder. One of the disciples criticizes Mary, Judas Iscariot. Do you notice if you read through the Gospels, whenever you see him, we're always reminded this is the traitor. This is the one. This is the one. From this time, even then, Mary was a common name. And even to this day, Mary, many girls are named Mary, often thinking of uh, the mother of Jesus. But Mary is another good name. Here, another honored Mary. Not too many people call their kids Judas anymore. Uh, that name... Uh, every, like I said, every time it's written, in, if it's the Judas Iscariot, we're told it's Judas, the one Iscariot, the traitor, the traitor, the traitor. And so we're to, we're to hear these words, uh, uh, who they come from. But to be honest with you, 
And sadly, I have to say, unfortunately, other disciples joined in the criticism. John doesn't record that, but the other Gospels do. In Matthew 26, 8, But when his disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? Mark 14, 4, But there were some who were indignant among themselves and said, Why was this fragrant oil wasted? When I was thinking about this account, I thought, well, maybe, maybe it's the guests at the dinner. Maybe it's, there were some guests there that didn't really get it. But 26, Matthew tells us his disciples saw it. They were indignant. Now, Mark tells us some. So maybe not all the disciples. I wonder, I wonder if John was one of them. But his silence and his humility suggests maybe he wasn't, and he's trying to be kind to the others. But so get the setting. What I would gather from John is that it was Judas who started off. But how quickly the other disciples, yeah, that's right. Why are you wasting that? That money could have gone for the poor. That tells us some things about Judas. He was one of the twelve. He was one of those who were sent out two by two uh, at preaching Christ. And apparently, he must have, and Jesus empowered them to do miracles. Apparently, he must have done miracles. Otherwise, I think we would have heard the disciples saying, Did you notice Judas never did anything? No one ever was healed by Judas. What's the deal, Judas? So apparently, God, Jesus enabled him to do miracles as well. But he was never a man of faith. He never trusted in Jesus as a Savior. We see that earlier in John when Jesus said, Did I not choose you and yet one of you is a devil? Later on at the Lord's Supper, he will say, All of you are clean, but not all of you. Speaking of Judas, he was chosen by Jesus, but he was never born again. He never knew Jesus as Savior. But he could put up a good front. I'm often struck, and I mentioned this a number of times, I always think of at the Lord's table, at the Last Supper, when Jesus said, one of you will betray me, you know, we would all expect everybody turns and look at Judas, you skunk. You're not getting out of here alive. But, but everyone's saying, is it me, is it me, is it me? They didn't see anything wrong in Judas. He was one of them. In fact, I, the fact that he's carrying the money suggests that he was trusted. And I see here how quickly they follow his example. So a couple things that strike me here is just a reminder. We have to look beyond appearances. Judas could talk the talk. Judas could play the walk. But we're revealed in here. And, and, and notice there's something I think that's significant. We're told all along he was stealing from the treasury. Tragically, that's not the last time that's happened. Every once in a while, you know, I follow church news and that kind of stuff, and you'll hear about someone being arrested for stealing from the church. But, but in other words, what this tells us, this guy was a thief. 
his heart was wrong. And so later on when he betrays Jesus, some say, well, maybe he was trying to bring on the kingdom, force Jesus' hand. I'm persuaded that this shows us he was never with Jesus in his heart. But as a reminder to us, just because someone uses the words, makes the claim, watch for the fruit. And, for example, in Timothy, in terms of choosing church elders and leaders, we're told to lay hands on no one suddenly. And that's important for us as we're looking at, uh, whenever we're looking to consider church leaders, we, we know them well enough to know something of their life and character. And may I say to you that may one day be considering a, someone to marry. Get to know them. Don't rush. Spend time with them. Uh, get to know them and their family. See them in various contexts so you know does this person really know the Lord or are they just talking the talk? Do they just know the words? Do they go through the motions? Spend time examining. Notice something. Again, I just grieve. Don't you know for the rest of their life, those disciples, there were probably many regrets they considered, but one of them, that they attacked Mary under the leadership of Judas. He was influential. That's the kind of person he was. You know, it strikes me too when I look at Judas that he is a, his words have been spoken for the last 2,000 years. Why wasn't this money given to the poor? You hear churches criticized again and again. Oh, you could have taken that money. Think of all the poor people you could have helped with that. But we're even told that wasn't his real motive. But he knew how to talk the talk. His real motive was, he wasn't concerned about the poor. He's thinking, if you had taken that money and put it in the treasury, I could have gotten a portion of that. And by the way, do you notice he knows the cost of perfume? I have to confess to you, I don't. Um, matter of fact, just I did a little looking online to figure out how much is expensive perfume these days. It can be very expensive. <laughs> Uh, I saw bottles of this stuff that were in the thousands of dollars. And um, that's, that's news to me. Now, that was not on the Walmart um, website. But in other words, uh, but, but isn't that interesting? He knew the price of that. Have you noticed there's some people that they're so focused on money that they seem to know the price of everything? And, and there's maybe that critical spirit. Well, you spent that much for that? I think what's especially interesting is within a short period of time, he's going to sell Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. That's about a third of the value of this, this ointment. And so he probably resented that as well. But he's, he's driven by self. His eyes are on his self. Even in, when, he, when he's talking religion and talking and, and acting like, hey, I'm the trusted treasurer, it's all about self what he can get for himself. And so he saw that offering to Jesus and thought, what a waste. I could have stolen some of that. 
when I look at this section, just in Judas and the lesson from him, there's a warning. In our day, for many, religion is caring for the poor. Now, there's nothing wrong with caring for the poor. And Jesus will say, you'll have those opportunities later. He's not saying, don't care for the poor. But for many people, that's all there is. There's no sense of the gospel message that man is sinful, that Christ died for our sin, and that if we're to have eternity with Christ, we must trust in Christ and and know him now as Savior. But for many people, the gospel is feed the poor. And that's as far as it goes. And they measure and test religion based on that. That's a Judas mentality. But again, he was being a hypocrite because he didn't even care about the poor. But the other disciples were quickly driven into that because they were dragged into that, I should say. Um, So beware of the hypocrites that talk about compassion for the poor but have none. Let me quote from F.B. Meyer. He says this, how, oh, ah, how often will a man adopt sanctimonious phraseology, you can tell this is older writing, to hide his real self and will talk of the poor and Christ and religion, not that he cares for any of these things, but because he desires to add to his own estate or position. Not that he cares might be written on the life of many a hypocrite. He comes to church, not that he cares, but to secure admittance to good society. He professes to be a Christian, not that he cares, but to blind people to his deeds. He gives away money, not that he cares, but to win name and fame. And the man who does not care is hardening himself by every act of hypocrisy until he can sell his Lord. I'm struck by that. It's come out in the news at various times. You know, some of the politicians who cry the most, we, we need to care more, for, give, do more for the poor, give more for the poor. And then they check their tax records, and they, they're some of the least giving to the poor. And so they want to be giving to the poor with your money, not theirs. Um, and so, so, there's, so, so I see a lot to learn from Judas Iscariot. We see what a hypocrite looks like. We see what a false professor looks like. We're, we're warned about good-sounding, pious-sounding things like, what about the poor? But we need to look beyond that to say, what about Christ? See, that's the point. All he could see was the money that could have gone in the purse. And that's the last thing on Mary's mind. All she can see is Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Poor Mary, attacked in such a situation. I appreciate Jesus. Jesus said, let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. For the poor you have with you always, but me you do not have always. The word let her alone in the Greek is one word. And it's, and it's, and it's shot straight to, to, to Judas. It's in the singular. So, you know, John's talking about just the one. But he's, he focuses on Judas and says, um, all I can think of is this is what I say to my dog. We, we train our dog with the command, leave it. 
And so we were trying, you know, whenever we wanted to stop something, we said, leave it. So like, we give her a little bone uh, treat and lay it at her feet, and I tell her, leave it. And she has to look at me until I say, okay. Try that with your kids sometimes. But, um, but anyway, but, but that's what I hear, that command, leave it. You know, whether she sees a cat or whatever it might be, leave it. That's kind of how Jesus speaks to Judas. Leave it. I wonder, I haven't looked at all the translations, maybe some of the newer ones. Knock it off, Judas. <laughs> but no, he, he, he wastes no time. There's no mercy. Not Judas, let's talk about this. Knock it off. I see Jesus standing up for Mary. Cut it out, Judas. Leave her alone. She's kept this for the day of my burial. He goes on to say, the poor you have always, me you do not have. Now, that's, that's actually a, a practically quoting scripture. In Deuteronomy 15.11, they were told, For the poor will never cease from the land. God said, Therefore I command you, saying, You shall open your hand wide to your brother, to your poor and your needy in your land. He says, that's biblical. That was written during the days of Moses, 1,500 years before Christ. And so when you hear someone say, we're going to wipe out poverty in our generation, you can quote Jesus to them. <laughs> Not going to work. That's just, that's just, we live in a, and that's part of our fallen world. Poverty is, is here. Now that doesn't mean you don't do anything about it. But, but don't think that you're going to stop it. And so, but here Jesus is saying is, you will have plenty of opportunity to care for the poor. I'm not here very long. And so Mary was seizing the opportunity that was there. The Lord, the, the poor will be with us always. But the Lord wouldn't be. And then Jesus explains. She has kept this for the day of my burial. Uh, and there's, there's actually... This, this phrase is a little challenging to translate. And there's, there's, this is one of the things where there's actually differing manuscripts. Another reading you can get from the Legacy Standard Bible that says, uh, so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. But I, hear, I think that what is, what is he getting at? What does it mean? It seems to be that she has, in her mind, she had already set aside this ointment for Jesus' burial. This would be a good servant for the funeral directors that are always talking about pre-planning. Um, when did she set it aside? I'm not sure. Some have suggested this was like uh, her trust, uh, and this is her, what, what could have been her dowry. I, don't, I get the impression they were a family of means. I wonder if when she was buying the spices and ointments for the preparing of the body of Lazarus, if she didn't think... I'm going to buy some spice now. I'm going to buy some ointment for Jesus. But, but in other words, she had it in her mind that this would be used to honor Jesus at, at his burial. Why would she think like that? Because Mary had been listening. Remember back when one of the times I mentioned earlier when, when it, we were told that uh, Martha got upset with her? Well, actually, Martha got upset with her and with Jesus. So we need to be careful about that. 
but, but Jesus, don't you care? Don't you see I'm doing all the work here? Where was Mary? She was at his feet, listening, learning. And what did Jesus say? She's, she, what she's doing is important. I think Mary here is a rebuke, not just to Judas, but to all the disciples, and not just because they followed Judas, but Jesus has been telling them, I'm going to die. Remember what Peter's response was? Don't talk like that. Or if I can use language that I've already used, leave it. Cut that out, Jesus. Knock it off. None of this you're going to die business. You're going to be king and rule and conquer. But Mary heard. Mary listened. And I have to wonder if she isn't paying attention not just to Jesus but to the crowds around her. She saw and heard about the Jews who had gone and told in, in Jerusalem. And she's probably heard about some of the, the gossip, some of the whispering. Already the word was out. The word was out. If you know where Jesus is, tell us, because we want to come and arrest him. Interesting. In the midst of that, there they are at the dinner, and everyone there is ignoring that command. But Mary can read the handwriting on the wall. Jesus has said he's going to come to Jerusalem and die. And here he is just over the hill from Jerusalem. If you were to go a little bit over the hill to the top of the Mount of Olives and you'd look out over Jerusalem and just on the other side of Jerusalem is Calvary. Jesus was there to die. And I sense that Mary knows that's why he's here. This isn't going to turn out well. Jesus is here to die. Have you ever been to a funeral when people say, why is it we wait till they're dead before we say these nice things or maybe even bring flowers? Mary did, learned. Maybe, maybe they said that sort of thing at Lazarus' grave. And then when she thought about Jesus and, and think, believing, he's, gonna, he's, he's, he's here to die. The, 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 the plan has been hatched. He's here to die. You know, think about it. Judas there in the same room knows, I can go sell him. So, so, so if you were paying attention, and Mary was. She was paying attention to the words of Jesus, and she was paying attention to the season around her. And that's why at the dinner she thought, I'm going to anoint him now. I'm not going to wait for his burial. I want to anoint him when he can know it. And so she comes to his feet. That's what you do to a Lord. That's what you do to a king. You go before their feet. Now actually if you read the other accounts and maybe if you're paying attention, the other gospels tell us that she anointed his head. And to what that tells us in that pound of, or in its, and the pound there is a, it's, it's the weight. It was 12 ounces by our weight of this very expensive ointment. She drizzled some on his, his head and drizzled some on his feet and maybe the rest of his body as well. 
But she thought, I want Jesus to enjoy this. I'm not waiting until he's dead. And Jesus knew. Isn't that amazing? Jesus knew what was in her heart. He said, I'll tell you what she's doing. She set this aside for my burial. So she's recognizing him as king, as Lord, but also as Messiah. What does the word Messiah mean? Or Christos? It means anointed one. So she's going to anoint him. But knowing it's thinking of his burial. With this we see Mary's great love and devotion for her Lord. And I have to think that John, think, especially thinking back, as he remembers how the room was filled with that wonderful fragrance, the room was also filled with the beautiful aroma of Mary's heart. And how the Lord Jesus must have savored that offering. Not the perfume itself, but the heart that gave it. And how our tender Lord must have grieved for poor Mary, knowing it's with tears that she's making this offering. But she was lavish and humble in her offering. We see her great love. We see her devotion to the Lord. We see that she is a student of the Lord. She's been listening to him. And we see he's pleased. And we see his love for Mary. When I think about this passage and I think of Mary's love and devotion and how it delighted our Lord, I wrote myself a question. What does that look like today? How do we show our love for the Lord? I don't think that means we go out and buy expensive perfume and come and pour it on the table here. How do we? How do we express to the Lord our devotion, our love? I think it's important to notice that where did that come from? It was a love. And it was a love grounded in knowledge. She listened carefully to her Lord. I don't think we have this kind of love and adoration unless we spend time with the Lord. And that means to me in his word. Right here. Over in Matthew, Jesus said, where two or three are gathered in my name, I will be there. He, he is present here in a special way. But having come to, to attend to the Lord's word, to being in his presence here and at other times, filled with our love and adoration, how do we express that to him? Maybe that's a question each of us can ask ourselves. How do I show him my love and devotion? I encourage you to take that one home and think about that. I mentioned that the idea of a fragrance and aroma 
is frequent in the sacrifices of the Old Testament. And my mind might drift forward a little bit to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, where we are to give ourselves to the Lord a living sacrifice. I wonder if we could add to that a fragrant sacrifice. Because really, wasn't that what Mary was doing? She gave of her substance. She gave of her honor, letting her hair down, wiping his feet with her hair. She was giving herself to the Lord. What would that look like in our lives? And then just one other thought that comes from this. I want to underscore, and the Lord knows our heart. Had Judas really meant that? Wait a minute, what about the poor? And and really meant his care for the poor? I, I think the Lord still might have corrected him. A good thought, Judas, but you'll have time for that. I don't think it would have been, knock it off. He knew he was a thief. And by the way, I saw an interesting comment in one of the commentators. Jesus doesn't mind losing his coins, but he'll never lose his sheep. And so, he knows the heart of the hypocrite. And so that's a reminder to me that there may be some who hear these words online or in our uh, sermon audio archive. But Jesus is not fooled and he knows our heart. And if we can look in ourselves and in the mirror and say, you know, I've been playing the part. You haven't fooled Jesus. You may have fooled me and everyone else here. And so if you have yet to truly, genuinely trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, now is your time. Believe on him. But on the positive note, Jesus knows the heart of Mary. And he's pleased. He's delighted with it. Even though Mary is a sinner like you and I are, she's, she's, she's imperfect. She has her sins. But he sees her loving devotion and he's delighted. When we give our heart to the Lord, even if we mess up along the way and don't do things quite perfectly, we delight. I think of the parent that might, or better yet, the grandparent that might get a gift from a child. And wouldn't you know, there are there. There are probably as many crayon marks outside the lines as inside the lines. But the grandparent looks and sees the love behind it. Says, ah, it's gorgeous. That's our Father's love for us. He sees our heart and delights in our love and devotion for Him. And the other Gospels. Jesus says, leave her alone. For wherever the gospel goes, what she has done today 
will be declared. I have today fulfilled prophecy. And I love the fact that 2,000 years later, Mary is known for her devotion. The Lord knows, honors, remembers our devotion. You don't have to worry if anyone else here notices. The one who matters does. And he knows your heart and he knows your intention. Delight in that. Lord, here I am. Here I am. In my weakness, in my frailty, many a line is outside the line. But Lord, here I am. And he delights. Father, here we are. We've come to worship our Lord Jesus Christ. We've come to worship you in his name. We've come to worship you in the enabling of the Holy Spirit. But here we are. And Father, we give ourselves anew to your service, to your pleasure. May our lives be a sweet aroma in your presence. We thank you for the example of Mary and so many others that challenge and stir us up. Father, stir our hearts. And Lord, how I pray. If any who hear these words has yet to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, in your mercy, stir their heart to repenting faith, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.